but that's okay wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Ritual and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, spelled with two N's and one T. And this week's a little special. Christian Spicer is still out. So DLC stands for Duo of Likeable Co-Hosts. Because we have two awesome guests this week. Sitting in the second chair... You know him from numerous podcasts at notpatrick.com. The host of Pixels, Patrick Beja is back with us. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Jeff. I'm so glad. So I, as, I, I, as I understand it, this is a, uh, a, an interview for a permanent replacement of, of Christian. And, oh, yes. Uh, uh, I've been wanting to replace Christman, Christian for years. <laughs> So, uh, so anybody that's willing is uh... – <laughs> Unfortunately, Well, I mean you need to have certain qualifications. Unfortunately or maybe fortunately, uh, and uh, the, the audience will be thankful for this, I, I can't really bring the Spice Man and that's probably mm. a good thing. But yes. I can bring the French Man. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that this show with the Tokyo Game Show, what is this merde? There is nothing to talk about at the Tokyo Game Show. What do you mean, Jeff? You invite me just for this? I'm outraged. This is the BS. French man. It's the French man. Oh, I like this. This is, uh, this is going to go there swimmingly. Go. <laughs> I love it. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you being here, Patrick. I'm so excited. Uh, and, you know, we also have a special guest who last appeared on this podcast. All the way back in April of 2016 wow. was episode 123. We're on episode 411, I believe, today. Um, it is reviews editor at Games Beat and the co-host of numerous podcasts. Podcasts. Mike Minotti is with us. Hey, Mike. Hi. That's one N and two T's. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we got. It. I hope this is an interview. I am famously bad at those. Yeah, yeah. Well. One, to- one time I got asked the, like the most generic interview question ever, like, "What would you say is your greatest weakness?" I think yeah. I sat there and like ummed and like muttered for ten minutes. Yeah, I yeah. Like, I that shows confidence. Coming. My you, greatest you, weakness. You don't have weaknesses. That's great. It shows you like say, you're up for it. My greatest weakness <laughs> is answering this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my greatest <laughs> weakness is interviews. Apparently, <laughs> you, you should have you should have sent Jeff for your interview. That would have made done better. Oh, I don't oh, know yes. about that. Because I'm not so good at interviews either. I've interviewed numerous times at numerous places that not and not gotten jobs. So just shave you know. your head, put on 50 pounds, you could double as me. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have both of you guys here. Uh, we've got uh, so much to talk about. Mostly games. I mean, I'm swimming in games to talk about. So excited. I mean, the the Steam Next Fest is going on right now, which is like actual thousands of games to talk about so we're gonna try to talk about that we got new world there's it's so much to get to plus as the french man uh already noted tokyo game show let's jump right in and start the show the way we always do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week Story of 
the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send us comments or questions, anything you'd like us to know or hear about. Send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also post on our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com, or... On our Discord, which is also 5x5DLC, lots of fun folks in both of those communities. I urge you to take part. But Mike, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Man, I feel like all the good stories this week are really like rumors and reports and, and mm. all that all that kind of stuff. I think this notion that Konami is maybe going to get back into like quote-unquote real game making again based off that report from a uh, video game chronicle that they want to uh, make a new castlevania a new metal gear solid maybe metal gear solid 3 remake i think that's really interesting yes uh this is a seems to be a pretty substantial rumor uh, as you said uh, vgc reported it and um it's evidently the first game coming out of the gate in this new initiative is going to be a castlevania game uh, and then potentially, yes, this uh, MGS3 remake or uh, some other MGS uh, project. This excites you because I'm assuming you're a fan of those franchises and you want to see them return to their former glory? Absolutely. Yeah, I love both of those. Um, gosh, I've been playing a lot of Castlevania recently because of the Advance Collection. I'll talk about yeah. that later. But yeah, I love those games. And I like uh, Metal Gear Solid a lot, too. So those are both franchises I would be very interested to see make a comeback. Uh, they reported that Virtuos might be doing the Metal Gear Solid 3 project. We yeah. actually just ran an interview with them today on GamesBeat. Has, we did not ask him about Metal Gear Solid 3, I'm afraid, but so that was just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah I just want to see because, you know, Konami's been out of that game for so long now. Like when they make games, it's compilations or like that weird Contra game that came out a few years ago that I think most people have already forgotten about. So I'm sure they're looking over at, say, a Capcom and seeing how they're able to still make money off of the franchises that mattered to them like 20 years ago, like Resident Evil, like Devil May Cry. And they're thinking, why can't we do that? Castlevania should be bigger than ever right now. Thanks to that Netflix show that everybody loves. Right. Metal Gear Solid will always have a place in a lot of people's hearts. So there's no reason why, if they're smart about it, they can't make good sequels, good remakes, good new projects out of these franchises. Yeah, Virtuous, of course, is the studio that did the switch ports of Dark Souls and Outer Worlds. Um, and if they're working on MGS3 Snake Eater, that sounds really interesting. I'm wondering what you would hope for out of a remake of that game. I mean, obviously, remake is the word used here, not remaster, which right. I think is in- encouraging and exciting. I think um, everybody, you know, likes when these games look really modern, but is there something you'd like to see out of an MGS three remake specifically, or just kind of make it prettier? I mean, making it prettier is a big deal. Just like, uh, even just like better lip syncing on characters, small stuff. Like I think that game is already very good. It doesn't need much, but there are some things you can do. Like, like with that battle with the end, the big sniper fight, everyone loves because it was a PlayStation two game. There's like four different zones that you have to load into in that big map. So just small things like making that one giant area instead, that that's going to help things a bit. Otherwise, not probably not too much you need to do with Snake Eater. That game is 
once they did the subsistence version that fixed the camera and some other small things, that game's pretty good to go. I mean, heck, they brought that game to the 3DS and it was good. So yeah. I, I, I think it's a pretty, <laughs> I think it's a slam dunk for a, a remake because it's something you don't have to do a whole ton of like rethinking about. Kind of like Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. You basically just needed to make that prettier to do a remake. Similar thing here for Metal Gear Solid 3. There's some stuff you're going to do, but nothing too crazy. Yeah, I mean, I hope it has that level of polish that uh, Shadow of the Colossus had. Um, Patrick, a, the last Castlevania original game was back in 2014, Lord of Shadows 2. Uh, is that along the lines of what you would hope for from a Castlevania, a new entry in the Castlevania franchise? Or do you think it should feel a little more classic, a little more 2D? What would you want look for, for from a new Castlevania game? I think they can do really both. Uh, they don't have to choose. I think they can start like easy, quote unquote, easy and do something that isn't too expensive and see how it goes. And But I think they should start firing on all cylinders. There, there's been some serious mismanagement at, at Konami in the games division. Essentially, they just stopped. They started relying on their, you know, pachinko machines and and uh did they have some gyms and stuff like that when they they really mismanaged even if they wanted to separate from kojima which by the way new metal gear solid games without kojima would be an interesting proposition but you know they they started banking on other things on mobile as well and it didn't go as well as as they hoped um as it did for many companies but so they were really leaving money on the table here, and I didn't understand why. I think no one understood why. Um, they just, like, it's almost out of spite. They're like, well, we, <laughs> we're not going to do video games anymore. Just like, And it, it's ridiculous. Taking our ball like, and going home type yeah, of deal. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and it seems like if this is true, uh, there's this. There's also the thing about uh, them opening up some franchises to um indie developers in the same way that uh, i believe sega did and uh, square enix has done as well so this is a but it's not the most exciting franchises but still the move is interesting got gradius in there right that's something oh that would be i mean uh, you know uh, they have so many well-known franchises and even karate like that's that's i played that game a lot but um but castlevania is the one that is deeply embedded into my heart even more than metal gear solid and and silent hill which you know uh, let's not get into that but uh (laughs) yeah castlevania is so such a huge opportunity to make 2d games and 3d games i didn't play lord of shadows i haven't heard you know super good things about it but um but i think there are huge opportunities and castlevania is feels like it's completely ready for a serious comeback and again both in 2d which a lot of people are gonna love the uh, you know i played uh grimoire grimoire of souls the uh ios version you discussed a couple of weeks ago and it is riddled with like the remnants of the free-to-play version that existed. Uh, but the gameplay itself is great on phones, so I'm guessing they can make a really good game on uh, consoles as well. They, there, there are a million opportunities, you know. Make a roguelike Castlevania. Everyone <laughs> else is doing it. Why not, you know? It, <laughs> yeah. there, there might be a little bit of a fatigue there. but um, And 
the opportunities for a 3D Castlevania approached with respect and, and uh, seriousness are huge. So to me, Castlevania is the one that's really exciting because the other ones, we kind of can envision what it would be. Like uh, a Metal Gear, again, without Kojima, maybe we'd have to see. Silent Hill, okay, a horror game in this environment, you know, this universe where you have the two worlds and swinging between one and the other. Okay, you know, I can kind of envision what it would be. Castlevania feels like the more open book to me, and I would be super excited if Konami is serious about it. I can totally imagine there's one, like, high-level manager who's who loves those games and who's like, He's been biding his time, waiting for the pandemic to destroy their profits from everything else. And he's like, guys, we have games. We have video games. We can make something. And he's like hoping that he can manage it properly. But we'll have to see if they if they actually do it. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. This this company seems to have been focused on many things that are, you know, not preoccupied with the quality of their well i i, uh, I think you make a great point there i mean i i think my biggest worry at this point is that konami is a shovelware company um and i i hope that's not the case i hope that's not the case i hope they still you know live up to that legacy but certainly nothing in the last several years has given us any indication that they're still a top tier publisher uh mike this i think you this seems like they're sorry just to finish it seems like they are willingly like consciously saying uh, maybe that was dumb not to focus on games and and shifting their attention back to it. And they've yeah. made great games for years and years. So maybe it's something like they're aware of what happened and they want to correct it. So there's hope. I hope so. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case. Um, Mike, I think you're you're a much bigger Castlevania fan than I am. But I I'm just kind of not really moved by a uh, by a. Th- 3d castlevania probably because i didn't think those games were particularly well done but i guess the potential is there for a great 3d you know triple a kind of castlevania experience my question to you is do you think that castlevania needs to be that traditional 2d thing or do you think it can it has legs to be expanded into something different Ah, man, you know, I think Patrick's right. I think it can be both things. I think people are going to, to to a certain degree, expect the 2D offering, and we'll get that. And that's going to be a tough proposition itself, because we have so many indies, uh, you know, including Bloodstained, right, which is just basically Castlevania by a different name, doing that so well already. So that's maybe a hard proposition. There are opportunities in 3D, because they've been close before. Lord of Shadows was, was fun kind of a God of War clone, but decent at times. The second one was more forgettable. Even the PlayStation 2 3D ones that a lot of people don't remember, like uh, what, Lament of Innocence, there was something there. So I, I think there are avenues there. I mean, the, the obvious uh, path is to go uh, Dark Souls-like, right? And maybe that's mm. what we're going to see. Because you you know, Dark Souls already has a bit of a Metroidvania flair to it anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. In terms of the world design. So you could do something with that. You just give the guy a whip instead, and you give him the classic Castlevania sub-weapons. You get a decent developer on it, and you're fine. That That's my question, is who who's going to make these games? Because, right. again, Castlevania's internal studios have been deteriorating for a long time. And there's maybe people need to scrounge up to do that 2D Castlevania game, maybe. But a big AAA 3D Castlevania, you're, you're going to have to bring somebody in for that. Yeah. Great points. Great points. Um, I do think that whatever the case, we will get a ridiculous title. Yes. 
<laughs> it's going to have some kind of a music word in it and then yeah. some like allusion to the moon on like, we yeah. of tunes or there something you, you know it's uh it's yeah. gonna be terrible arpeggio it's, stars you know, <laughs> that's that's really like i can feel like the first one you know symphony of the night was just a title it was like yeah. it sounds good it sounds cool and they had to kind of it became a thing without yeah. it really being intended to be a thing and now they're right. like oh wait what can we get uh the yeah the now it's a parody of, of itself yeah, yeah they get a <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, uh, Aria, they stop. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they can't stop now. Like, no. they, they can't stop. I don't know. Maybe they could, but uh. pop hit of sadness. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Patrick, what is your story of the week? Um, so, you know, I really want to make the story of the week, uh, the Tokyo game show, but really, I think the more interesting one is that, uh, Switch Pro craziness that will never end apparently um yeah. switch 4k and and but the 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 reason i i think it's the most interesting story honestly the castlevania the prospect of new castlevanias is the most interesting thing for me but um is the fact that people seem to be very angry about the fact that um it keeps being a story like maybe this is anecdotal evidence on my part and on my internet but a lot of people are you know replying the to these discussions with oh kind of a variation on really this was bs and so we shouldn't have talked about it and we shouldn't still be talking about it and I vehemently disagree with that take. Um, you know, there's this sentiment that either the journalists kind of made it up or or reported on it because they were wrong, they shouldn't have talked about it. And I think it is, out of principle, incredibly important that journalists look into these stories. Of course, you know, games journalism is not like, politics or or the economy but still there are important stories and there are more you know trivial stories like is a uh, manufacturer going to develop a new console and sell a new console and what capabilities will it have and the reason i think it is extremely important that journalists uh look at these things and follow up on leads and and report on them even when they end up being wrong sometimes they're right sometimes they they're wrong and in this case it's a story that went for a long time and there are apparently some basis for it it's not like some guy posted something on reddit and all the press went crazy there are actual sources for it and and but the reason it's important to do so is that if you don't then the only thing you do as a games journalist is read press releases from game mm. companies and become a relay for their marketing material, essentially, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And, and as out of principle, I think it's essential that journalists talk about these things, even when they're rumored. Of course, you, you, know, you, you do a serious job and you try to have uh, uh, verified sources and all of this, but... You have to talk about these things because if you're not, you're just a mouthpiece for whatever the company wants you to know. And that is a terrible way of, of doing that kind of job. So, right. And I think this story highlights this aspect of it very well. Yeah. I mean, j just to sort of recap for folks, um, we're talking about the the Switch that was going to be a 4K console uh which got a lot of wide speculation and people kind of thought it was a foregone conclusion that we were going to get some sort of 4k switch people are calling it the the switch pro uh and then of course we get the announcement of the switch oled model which is actually 
launching this week or the end of this week um, without any kind of 4K support, no I- improved performance, no better chip, no better memory, none of that kind of thing. Um, and there was this big backlash because it, it was such a foregone conclusion. Well, now this week, Bloomberg has reported uh, talking to at least 11 different game companies, uh, anonymous employees at 11 different companies who said they had Switch 4K development kits, that this was a real thing and that they were developing on the, the 4K Switch. Nintendo tweets out, nah, that's not true. Nope. Uh, they say um, uh, it is uh, not true, quote unquote, not true. And then, quote, we also want to resta- restate that as we announced in July, we have no plans for any new model other than the OLED, the Switch OLED. Which um, is coming out on October 8th, they add, because they want to sell it. Yeah, yeah. so buy that, please. Buy I, that. Don't wait for I, anything I else. I want to mention that a lot of people have been um, taking these comments and saying, oh, but look, Nintendo is denying it. What else do you want? They're being very clear that it's not true. And Nintendo has done this multiple times, weeks before announcing a new model, like literally doing this with the, I think it was the new Nintendo 3DS or maybe the XL, uh, like two weeks before it was announced, they were saying we have no plans of launching a new model. With the Switch Lite, they did the same thing. There was a report on Eurogamer uh, about the end of production of the Nintendo Wii U in Japan. And uh, they like the same kind of tone, like it is inaccurate. We have no plans of stopping the production of the Wii U. Uh, and this reporting is false. And like literally days later, they announced that they are stopping production. And of course, the report was true. So out of all of the companies in the world, uh, in the world of video games, Nintendo is not just the least trustworthy. Their (laughs) denial here is literally worthless, like worthless. It means nothing. They could have not tweeted it. It would have been the same. They've done it so many times that it's laughable they still do it. And And in this case, it might, you know. I don't think it's true. I think there was a 4K version somewhere of the dev kit and they intended as, my guess is, as Bloomberg has speculated, they were designing it and then chip shortages happened. And so the DLSS components, whatever, it's not, it ended up not being capable of doing 4K, but that doesn't even matter. You know, it's the, 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 the statement of Nintendo is worth nothing at all. <laughs> Does it matter a little bit that it's from their investor relations Twitter account, though? Like, that's the one thing that gives me some pause. Like, I, I forget about the Wii U thing, but the 3DS, I think that was just Reggie talking, right, to to somebody. But the, I mean, can, like, the investor account really be like, this isn't happening, investors, and then mm-hmm. just have it happen anyways? Like, isn't that approaching a crime? I don't know. I don't deal with speculation. It's scary, but it's weird. <laughs> I think it's it's playing on words. Um, you know, th- th- what they're saying can be factually true in the sense that they currently, you know, what they're, mm-hmm. they were saying about the Switch Lite model it was something like we have no plans of releasing thing and three months later they announce it. But it can be something like, you know, what they're saying here, we are not developing a new model of the Nintendo Switch. Can you believe that Nintendo is not going to have another model of the Switch? No. <laughs> 
until like it, it, of course they're they're working on the next console after the Nintendo Switch, you know, that will be released in, I don't know, 2025 or whatever. Like, obviously they're working on stuff. And I think they're, they're, I don't have the wording here, but I'm guessing there's something where technically you could say that the wording is factually correct if you look at this part and, you know, they current, don't currently have approved finalized plans for releasing a new model or something like that. That's what I'm guessing. Because you could say like, oh, they're saying like, we, we're not, we don't plan to send out kits. It, it doesn't say that they haven't, for, for example. Yeah, yeah. So, Exactly. There, there are weird ways to play around, but even then, like, I would be scared if, if I was the one writing I, that tweet, but I'm a coward. I think the, the Switch Lite uh, denial was also published on that exact uh, corporate oh, Twitter account. Well I believe, I, I would need to check on that, but, uh, but yeah. you know, I worked at Blizzard in PR for a few years, uh, a long time ago, and in general, in PR, the thing you want to say when you're, uh, you don't want to be committal is, we currently have no plans for whatever. You know, it doesn't mean you won't ever have any plans. It doesn't mean you didn't think about it, but you don't currently have like plans established for something. And that is like when we said it at Lizard, it was true, but it didn't mean it wouldn't happen. Maybe, you know, a few years down the line. Um, And I'm sure that's standard PR talk. So another interesting aspect of this is that one of the Bloomberg sources is an employee at Zynga who remained anonymous, but uh, evidently Zynga spoke Per people had to come out and say, nah, we, that, no, we didn't do that. We, that's not really true either. It's like a, it's a lot of weird back it's and weird. forth. What's that? It's weird. It's definitely weird. There's something there that maybe we're not getting or like, I'm not saying the version that Bloomberg is serving up is, is absolutely accurate. And I'm not saying that there isn't something that's happening at Nintendo that, it isn't giving them reason to be angry about this. But even the Zynga thing, you know, Zynga is a mobile games company that hasn't had a lot of success. I mean, they've they've coasted on their successes and they're trying to get into traditional gaming. I believe it, if Mr. Nintendo calls up Mr. Zynga or Mrs. <laughs> Zynga and says, okay, your, your employee's name is in this story and uh, you'd better you know deny it Retract right now it, yeah. otherwise goodbye uh i think zynga is you know probably going to to listen to mr nintendo and i wonder why other companies haven't come I mean, maybe we don't have their names so they're not under the grill right. as much on the grill as much but um yeah, yeah. It, i mean it, i think to me the occam's razor version of this the most likely uh uh logical uh thing to pull from all this for my money is that there was you know as you said patrick there was a 4k switch that they were working on they got some dev kit kits out and then because of covid and supply chain issues they decided to switch gears and now they don't want this thing to be hanging over them as an expectation in 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 the marketplace uh, and they're just trying to squash any mention of it because they don't they're not going to make it now. Um, right. Mike, is that you? They want to they want to sell the OLED version. Right. The OLED exactly. They want people to buy the OLED. Right. They don't want people to hold off thinking, well, by next year, there's going to be a even better version right. of the switch. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right, Jeff. I think that there were absolutely plans to make a 4K switch. What, what, what we all thought they were going to make because it made sense. And it probably made sense to them until all these shortages and all these other uh, problems because of the pandemic made that a kind of more costly affair than they wanted to get 
involved with. And now, you know, who knows what the plan is? Who knows if it is still maybe this time next year, there's a 4K switch. I'm starting to not believe that. I think if we are going to get an upgrade, it's going to be longer. And I'm also starting to buy to the notion that maybe they're just going to wait a few years at this point until there is a switch to. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where the, I'm leaning the, to. Patrick, it sounds more like you think that this could actually still be a real thing that happens. I, I think it could. Um, Bloomberg mentions 2022, which seems like a stretch to me. Um, maybe there were plans at some point to push it in 2022. It seems unlikely that they would do this a year after this one, um, after the, the OLED model. Yeah. But uh, but also, to t- taking into account, there's another thing to take into account. The Switch is selling nonstop. And I think yeah. when they were developing the 4K, you know, two years ago, they couldn't imagine that they would still be selling out all the time of the current right. Switch. They don't need, I think it's getting a little bit, you know, graphically, it's getting a little bit too weak. Now it's starting to show, kind of, so I wouldn't mind having something better. But even that 4K model was not supposed to be a lot, I, we don't know, but it seems like it wasn't supposed to be very capable and have better graphics. It's just, up, you know, upscaling through DLSS with yeah. 4K. So that's not, you know, it wouldn't have changed a lot. Um it seems unlikely for 2022. The Switch is selling gangbusters, and I'm sure they're going to be keep selling a lot. Who knows? Yeah. I, it, you know, the thing is, on the other hand, whenever they decide to push a Switch 4K, and even more so if it has better, you know, capabilities for graphics in general, you know, th- uh, uh, finer textures and more polygons, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it will sell again because the Switch is the biggest success in the history of video games for in years. And, yeah, and since the Wii. <laughs> are, yeah, basically. Uh, I mean, the PS4 and PS5 have been doing pretty well. Sure, and yeah. We yes. can go back to the PS2. But um, I, I really think that it, the Switch will sell no matter what it is. And I have a very hard time imagining Nintendo not going back to the well another time before they switch generations. Like Interesting. Yeah, I can't see them leaving money on the table uh, because they're making money with every model they sell since the first launch, you know, the, the launch of the Switch, which is not typical for console manufacturers. Usually you take a loss in the beginning at least. And I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't sell another model if people are willing to buy it in 2023, you know, and then a couple of years later, you, you push a new version, maybe, but. I'm not even Nintendo sure could be a reactionary company. I mean, the reason why we have a Switch and at the same time they got into mobile gaming was because a reaction to the Wii U flopping, right? Yeah. And there hasn't really been anything to react to in, in terms of the Switch. It's been so steady and such a steady success for so long. Like, if things started slowing down, maybe then we'd, we'd see some fast tracking once again on a 4K Switch or, or a newer model. But yeah, it's doing just fine, even though we're starting to see cracks, right? Like, it's not a good sign when the port of Sonic Colors is only running at 30 frames per second on your console. Right. I'm sure, you know, developers and and stuff like that, there's other factors there. But we are starting to see a lot of these ports just really suffering more on Switch than ever. Stuff like Dying Light 2 being this weird streaming game. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's, it's odd. My hope is that we get the Switch 2 sooner rather than later and that the Switch 2 is a backwards compatible device Mm. and it becomes this, this, you know, this platform that all the Switch stuff works on Switch 2 and you can, you know, keep, keep all that library. We shall see. Um, But uh, I guess that leaves me with my story of the week being the Tokyo Game Show because, uh, you know, 
Once upon a time, the Tokyo Game Show was a big deal. It was a really it was a big pillar of the of the year of the of the calendar in video games. Uh, it has, I think, diminished quite dramatically over time. Uh, and now the Tokyo Game Show is kind of uh, kind of an afterthought, as you can even tell in this in this here podcast. But more evidence of that is is the fact that like Square Enix has a big presentation, but basically says we're not going to show Final Fantasy 16 in any way, which <laughs> I feel like, you know, it, it is partly because it's still early in development, but also partly because it's just not big enough a venue for them to show their, you know, the, the, the prize of their collection, right? It's not, it's not an E3 anymore. It's not, it's not a, it's not one of the big pillars of the year. And I think that that shows with what games were shown there. Regardless, there is some newsworthy stuff. Uh, a whole lot of games that aren't really my wheelhouse uh, were announced. Um, a lot of JRPGs, as you can probably guess. Um, Sega unveiled a new mobile uh, RPG, a Sin Chronicle. And uh, Square Enix actually announced a, a few interesting things, one of which is a... Uh, a, a game called Dungeon Encounters, which is coming out, just announced. No one had heard of it before. Just announced, but also coming out in two weeks, coming out on October 14th. It'll be on uh, PS4, Steam, and Switch. And this is a very bizarre-looking RPG for my money. It's like it's almost like you're playing a spreadsheet. It's stripped down. It's, ve- it's like you're playing on graph paper. Uh, and then, you know, very static... Images. I guess there's some animation when you're moving through this graph paper, you're walking along these squares, the empty squares that are in a pattern of a dungeon. I guess you can hop between different paths of the squares, and then you fight things in, in a very much a number crunching kind of way uh, with these very static uh, pictures of enemies and static pictures of your party. It's like this very stripped down, minimalist RPG. It's called Dungeon Encounters. I'm intrigued by it, but I kind of baffled by it as well. What's with the naming conventions at Square Enix these days? We've got Dungeon <laughs> Encounters and Triangle Strategy coming from them. Yeah, and yeah. Octopath it's like Traveler was basically describing the concept uh, yeah. of the game. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's the true. person in charge of creative naming got laid off. You know, and like, we got we got nobody. We got nobody anymore. We're a what year we away do? from a game just called Turn-Based Battles. <laughs> yeah, <basically. laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I would not be surprised at this point. Um, there's this seems also like a. This seems like a passion project. It's going to be, what, 30 bucks? It's uh, discounted now for pre-orders. Yeah. It seems like someone there was like, oh, I really want to do this. And, and okay, we'll give you five people, make it. It seems expensive for the graphics, the, the production value, but we'll see. Maybe it's going to be super fun. I, I'm hoping that based on how minimalist it is, that the the actual battles are really interesting, right? That's all yeah. it has to rely on One is the hope, pure yeah. mechanics. So maybe it's super strategic and cool. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, also, they announced, uh, or they didn't announce, but they uh, they showed a Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. <laughs> I heard an UG. Uh, I heard an UG. Uh, this game is haunting me. Chaos, chaos, <laughs> chaos. Dude, that clip that you tweeted... Uh, <laughs> of of the the girl like i i i shouldn't have given in i was sacrificed at the thing I, and she goes on and on and the guy's just like 
eh, BS and turns on his music and walks away. Oh I was like, God. what even is happening right now? It's crazy. I think a lot of people have been won over. It's just like, this is going to be the room of video games and we're going to <laughs> like that about it. And I'm just, I like Final Fantasy too much to be able to laugh at it. I think I, I yeah. don't know. Like I, I still am a bit, but in a kind of sad way, it, God, when that demo came out, I wish I hated the gameplay because I want to just fully despise every bit of this game. It's <laughs> ugly graphics. It's terrible character design. It's generic writing and it's just general off-putting weirdness. But it was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it really feels much like... I think the, the reason why TGS is not as big as it was, as you mentioned, is that the Japanese developers have finally opened up to the West and they are present en masse in like big events in a way that I don't think they were before. You know, they, they <clears throat> put their games out in the West at the same time as they do in, in the, in Japan. They focus on PCs a lot more as actually Capcom has uh, established as a new strategy and steam is a big thing for them. And I think Stranger of Paradise was a bunch of Japanese developers going like, okay, how do we appeal to the Western people? Like, how, what do they the love Americans Battle like Royales. <laughs> yeah, basically. So let's make the, the free-to-play thing and let's have the hero of the game play Limp Biscuit on his phone. <laughs> and, like, this is, it feels like, you know, I, I lived in Japan for a few years. It feels like the image that ja some Japanese people might have of what Western gamers yes. would like. You know what we actually like? We like Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. We like yeah. the bunny girls and cat girls and the cat boys and Final Fantasy fourteen. That's what we actually like. Not emo, limp biscuit listening guy. <laughs> In a gap t-shirt. It, it was an odd, it was an odd video to say the least. Um, any other interesting things out of uh, TGS from either of you guys? Um, I mean, Shin Megami Tensei Five. Um, we also saw that other Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Seven, the first soldier. Right. That's yeah. That's, that's, that's the free to play battle royale. royale. Yeah, that's yeah, the battle that's, royale. Yeah, that's happening. That's a thing. I think that uh, the Eden Chronicle Rising, which is the action RPG spinoff of that game, that's um, essentially the new Suikoden or Suikoden. I don't know how to say that, but that that looks it, like it could be fun. I'm more interested in the actual like game, not not the action spinoff here but it's good to see those are happening yeah hey you did that game chronicles yeah that game from uh the the folks that uh, some like former team ninja people uh wanted dead which looks yeah, that looks like bonkers. it could be cool yeah yeah it's very I mean, early but it looks like it could be cool you have like it felt to me like craziness yeah it felt to me like a kind of even more violent and sword wielding um uh, uh john wick a little bit right. yeah maybe it, yeah it feels pretty good that, that's the uh, what do they that, call it gun foo yeah 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 except you also have a giant katana at right. the same time so that's you know even more craziness um the the thing that i think i'll i'll remember from all of it is as i mentioned it's not quite tgs i don't know if they mentioned it there but it's capcom saying like in two years or three years we want pc to be more than half of our sales right which is they mentioned yeah. that when talking about monster hunter rise coming to pc right yeah coming yeah. on steam it'll be on steam uh 
in January next which is, year. Which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, next year. It's it, this is kind of crazy because it was just like what three years ago that we were hoping that Japanese developers would not just focus on the West but on the PC as well, and now it seems like it's the new Eldorado for everyone. Like it's the Wild West, literally, yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. all focusing on this. So that's really cool. Awesome. Well, that's uh, that's the Tokyo Game Show for 2021, and uh, that is our story of the week section. We're going to talk about a lot of video games uh, coming up, but. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Hey, if you have any reason to make a, a, a website, and let's face it, we all do. I mean, there's got to be online. If you even just have a cool idea you want to turn into a website or you have a, a work that you need to showcase, you want to make a, a portfolio or a blog. I mean, a great way to market yourself is to be able to forward people a URL, get them to your website. That's awesome. Even if you're just announcing, announcing an upcoming event or a special project, or if you have a business, any reason for a website, Squarespace is the place to make the website. You can make it yourself. You don't have to hire somebody and you don't have to learn HTML. It's so simple to make it yourself using Squarespace's very powerful but simple tools. Uh, they have beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers. So you start there and then you can just mess around. You can just move stuff, shift things, add stuff and you just dra drag and drop. It's so simple including e-commerce functionality. If you want to sell things, you just drag and drop it. Boop, it's in, it's easy. Now you're selling stuff on the website. So simple. You can customize the look and feel. You can customize settings and products all with just a few clicks. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't have to stress about that. You never have to patch or upgrade anything. That's all handled for you in the background. It's got built-in search engine optimization. It really is the platform for creating a website simply, easily, powerfully. Plus, if you run into any problems, they have 24-7 award-winning customer support. It's great. Make it yourself. You can do it. Check it out now. Go over to uh, squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. You get a free trial. You can start building your website. You don't even need to give them a credit card. You can just build it yourself right then and there. It's amazing. And then when you're ready to launch your website, Use our promo code, Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, -E -E, all one word, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Squarespace is also a great place to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 extensions. It's so slick. Their, their front end for buying domains is so great. I love it. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. All right, it is a jam-packed playlist this week. We got so much to talk about. I've been playing tons of stuff. Uh, Mike, what is on your playlist this week? Uh, well, it's been a lot of Castlevania, kind of bringing it back to earlier there. Uh, I got yeah. that Castlevania Advance Collection on the Switch. I've been wanting these three games on something outside of Game Boy Advance forever. I love Metroid Manias. Uh, I love playing all those, like, you know, the great indie ones that we get, uh, like Hollow Knight. I was really excited to go back to these because I haven't really played them since those Game Boy Advance days. And gosh, Circle of the Moon was a launch title for the Game Boy Advance. Wow. So it had been forever. Yeah. But yeah, and we've been hearing that this was maybe going to happen for so long, right? Like all the uh, ESRB like ratings uh, leaking out there. Finally, it shadow drops during that direct. And I like went and got it immediately. Already 
played through Circle of the Moon, which was a lot of fun. And now I'm really deep into Harmony of Dissonance, Dissonance which is like a, a bigger game than I was expecting. It's got this whole, there's two layers of the castle thing. So there's twice as much to explore as maybe you think. Yeah, they're just they're both fantastic i'm having a lot of fun and uh the third one aria of sorrow is supposed to be the best and i'm kind of afraid about starting that before uh metroid dread comes out because you know i don't want <laughs> right. to like, stop, stop in the middle of it it's, it's so many metroidvanias and literally metroids and vanias so this is making me <laughs> a really happy mike this week yeah you got metroid and vania in your metroidvanias yeah, it's fantastic it's, it's wild um so do you do you believe that these games uh, hold up because of the nostalgia that you have for them, or you, do they feel like modern games that can live alongside all those great indie Metroidvanias that, that are being made now? I think they still hold up. I think they're better than, say, a lot of those games still, except for like the very, very best, like maybe your Ori's and like your yeah. Hollow Knights. I still would rather play these than most of the other kind of, you know, even good uh, retrovanes. I, I, w- I would still prefer any of these to Axiom Verge, for example, the first right. one. I haven't played the second one yet. But there is still just something about that that Castlevania atmosphere. It just uh, fits so well to this. Like, oh, a castle, that's what we're exploring. That makes sense. And it's all gothic. And here are these fantastic monster designs and this incredible music. And each of them has, like, a little something extra going on. Like, Circle of the Moon has that card sort of based magic system where you have two decks of cards and like uh, one card from the top and one card from the bottom you combine them you get a different spell and then aria of sorrow has that soul system where if you beat an enemy maybe you capture their soul as one does and then you get their <laughs> power so yeah they're, they're, you know and all the rpg stuff too which not every uh metroidvania has that stuff's always fun because it makes backtracking a bit more tolerable because you're always uh grinding more experience while you're doing that so there's a nice yeah. progression there. I got to admit, Castlevania has always been uh, a series that I've kind of kept at arm's length. I've never, I've never found the love for Castlevania. I love Metroidvanias and have fallen in love with numerous Metroidvanias, but for some reason, actual Castlevania games have never been hmm. my love. And I, and I, I don't really, I can't really explain why that is. Have you like, um, played through Symphony of the Night? I mean, when I was, when it yeah first came out, like, it, oh. it, but I don't even know if I ever finished it. I just, right. you know, it's just never a series that I was drawn to. And I think I played it, you know, back in the day, but you know, I, it probably is one of the few Castlevanias that I even gave any time to at all. Hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, I that one doesn't series, get you. Yeah. I, it, I should, it, I should correct that maybe, but. It's it's an old series. I think all of them follow the template of uh, Symphony of the Night so closely, which that game is from, what, 98? Something like that? Yeah, so 97 or 98, one of those. Yeah. And and the, the all of the good games, which I guess stop around the mid-2000s, uh, are exactly that template. So it's yeah. a little bit rigid by today's standards. I don't think... You know, if you have that nostalgia, I don't think you will really appreciate uh, the quality of the game. It's kind of that thing that you sometimes talk about and that I resonate with very well. It's like, well, I can see how this was great back then, um, but by today's standards, like all of this has been integrated into right. the, 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 how can I put it? Like the, the ethos the of video games in general. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's no, in the grammar of video games in general, and right. the, the rigidity of those games 
is still like it, obviously it's twenty year old a twenty year old model. It's still very palpable. So I, I I don't know how how playable they are today. If you didn't love them back then, I I think rigidity is a perfect word to describe Castlevania in in, in a lot of ways. And I, I I struggle with that because a lot of these indie games that are riffs on on classic games infuse those classic that classic feeling with a modern sensibility that i think in so many cases improves the formula dramatically and mm-hmm. i find that to be the case that a lot of these games where it's like oh you get to play the original that where it all began it's like well yeah it all began there but we've come a long way <laughs> you know? i mean but g- going back to a, an original ish C- castlevania like again let's say uh, uh symphony of the night after you've played dead cells is really right. difficult dead cells take away the, the you know the the roguelitiness of it uh for a second it is Castlevania. That is exactly right. the model of Dead Cells. And so going back to how slow and methodical, like you have pixel perfect jumps and like you have to jump and throw the whip, throw out the whip at the exact part of the jump, of the upward curves of the jump to yeah. to 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 hit the enemy that's flying in that, you know, sinus wave form path it's i think it's hard to ask some i'd love as i mentioned before yeah, i love I them too but but um, maybe not yeah. be your thing jeff, jeff when when the uh sega genesis games come to nintendo switch online and they're adding castlevania bloodlines to that collection try that one that that's more okay. of the like linear style of them but mm. th- that's a very good one and it's one that's going to be easily accessible give that a shot and if you don't get into that one yeah castlevania might just not be for you which is fine mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. What else is on your playlist? I've been playing so much Final Fantasy fourteen. Got alluded to that earlier too. That has been my kind of twenty twenty one game. Playing that every day now. That's my everyday game. Just having wow. fun. Yeah. Having fun. People- uh, leveling up all the different jobs that there are. Just I, I've been I've been learning the market board, so I'm making all of my gill, which is you know their money. I'm a gillionaire now. I'm getting ready to buy a house in the game. It's it, it's gillionaire. Bad. Wow, it's bad. I didn't know I was I'm speaking to an, an actual gillionaire. Uh, that's <laughs> impressive. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you can tell your friends. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I mean, you're you must be like the fifth or sixth guest we've had on the show that doesn't just like fantasy fantasy 14 like it's it's a lifestyle yes and i love that about the game i mean people adore that universe it it does such a good job with its storytelling and making you feel like you're a part of it which which was always a weakness for world of warcraft world of warcraft excelled back when you were just an adventurer you were one of many and the story treated you like that once, yeah. once the story was trying to be like, you're the main general of the army or you're you're not just, uh you know, a hunter. You're the leader of all the hunters. It never worked as well because the rest of the story never really supported that. But here you have all these cutscenes where you're starring. People are talking to you. There's character growth going all, all around you. It, it, it works very, very well. And it just it kind of it's hard to not to love it when you dedicate the time to it. And it's a lot of time you have to dedicate. It's an yeah. MMO. But once right. you do it, I think when if people do dedicate that time and get through the story, more often than not, they are going to love it, not just like it. Wow. Final Fantasy fourteen and Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance. Patrick Beja, what is on your playlist? 
Um, I guess the first game that I would like to talk about is Tales of Arise. And, well, Jeff, I guess you could say that my thoughts on Tales of Arise are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Well, well, well. Mashing up several of my podcasts. This is a Mm -hmm. delight. I love this. (laughs) I don't usually love a long JRPG. And honestly, this one has an average story. But the combat's so great, out of 10, it's an 8. So when asked if it's worth playing it, I say we. (laughs) (laughs) And the French flourish at the end. I love it. Very Very well done. Bravo. Thank you. Yeah, I I worked on this way too long. Um, (laughs) That's the story of my life. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah tales of arise honestly it's my first uh tales of game that i'm getting into and i'm very surprised at how fun it is i think you've talked about it on the show before um, mm-hmm. but it's really a jrpg with a twist that is the combat everything else is very jrpg ish i've been told like i i didn't finish it i'm 10 15 hours into it um and i've been told oh the story is so great and like it explores questions that are complex and like eh, <laughs> not really I, I, I that's not my impression maybe it opens up later in the story it's possible but um but the combat is so actiony um and so fun it is really great and that carries the whole i shouldn't say carry it's not that the rest is bad um but it just shines uh in the 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 game as a whole and this is really uh the 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 attempt to make the series very like to follow the path of things like persona and other japanese niche game like uh maybe yakuza and stuff like that and and make them turn them from uh, niche cult series in the West into full blown successes, and it seems Namco Bandai has managed because it's been selling very well and deservedly so. It's a rethinking almost of the series, and it works super well. Um, and again, I'm not going to spend too much time on the story because we have a lot of uh, on the setup because the, we have a lot of games to go through. Um, but it's essentially a JRPG. Like there are two worlds, yeah. and one is the lord over the other, and they enslave the other, and you wake up as a, you know, you've lost your memory and you're gathering friends and you go and fight the evil people. That's it. Um, but the combat is super fun. There's like an almost uh, fighting game quality to it with combos and uh, expanding your action points. It's It feels like, which was the first Final Fantasy that had the active time battle? It, it wasn't That'd 15, be four. right? It was. That would be four. Oh, like active wow. a, a, active time battle ATB that'd be Final Fantasy yeah. four, and they used that through Final Fantasy nine. Then ten was the one where they had the kind of like you saw whose turn was coming next and whatnot. No Wait. hesitation, really, like Final Fantasy. Wait, gentlemen. So maybe maybe I'm 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 I think, uh, mistaking my terms. I, I'm thinking like actually action game a la yeah. Final Fantasy fifteen. Yeah, fifteen was the first one that was mostly an action RPG instead of like okay. turn based combat. If you don't, let's see, and, count well, 12 and that uh, 12 is still more turn based, right? Okay, so uh, the point is, uh, Tales of Arise has always had some action elements, but the ones I've tried before were like action y, but you didn't have to be on your toes, and like it wasn't as uh reactive as this one. This is an action game, like this is mm-hmm. full on mix between action and RPG, and it's really fun. So, I this I, one's really I think hype. It's, 
on my yeah. to-do list. I'm excited. I, I've played not a ton of these before, but I played through some of them and really liked them. I like Tales of Symphonia on the GameCube a lot. Tales of, Vesper- uh, Tales of Vesperia is great, and there's an awesome remaster of that on modern consoles, including Switch, which is really worth checking out <laughs> if you like the series. But uh, yeah, I really want to play Arise very soon. Yeah, we, so, our guest last week was was super high on it as well, and and uh, people are digging this game. I I bought Vesperia during the summer because I thought I would like to get into the series. I bought it on on uh, PlayStation, and then I thought, oh, but you know maybe I want to take it on you know on the go. So I bought it again on Switch, and mm-hmm. then I realized it was available on Game Pass. So I essentially <laughs> owned oh, whammy. Vesperia on all That's a platforms. double whammy. <laughs> yeah. It and, is nice I to only, have on Switch, though. I like I, having my DRPGs exactly. on a portable because I'd like yeah, to play them yeah. like an hour or two in bed before I go to sleep, you know? Yeah. But then I realized I have two children, so I didn't play it <laughs> at all. Uh, and when I go to bed, I sleep. Uh, <laughs> but the little bit that I played, uh, you can hear the, you know, the irony in, in Jeff's laugh, who is falling victim to the same issues. Um, oh, yes. The... The thing that I felt maybe it, it's different after a <laughs> longer way, time. Sorry, sorry, not to interrupt. You. I, I'm interrupting you. I know, but I just want to put a cap on that point. Uh, people have been asking me like, why? Why are you not getting the, uh, the the Steam Deck? You know, why? How come you didn't pre-order a Steam Deck? And I'm like, I there's no universe where I'm playing that. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no uh, uh, use case in my life for that thing. Like, I don't. I have kids. I don't. I, I the only time I can play is if I'm sequestered in my office in front of my PC. You know. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, same. So the Vesperia felt like it was like action on paper, but really it was a bit, little bit more slow and methodical. Tales of Arise is crazy. Like it's things flying all the time. You have to have like really fast reflexes. There's perfect dodges and and actioning you know, like actions from all of your party members. It's it is like fireworks all the time and it's really fun that's great i'm excited Hills to try of rise what else are you playing so uh you know how i just said i have two kids so i don't really have time to play a jrpg well mm-hmm. uh i figured i would play another jrpg uh as well scarlet nexus was uh integrated into the game pass which i guess we didn't mention that from the tgs but uh, xbox is going after the uh japanese market yeah, a little bit Phil harder Spencer made, they have it was very much said, hey, we are actively trying to get more uh, uh, Japanese games, uh, you know, on the Xbox platform. I think they're making a big initiative. And I, I I'm, yeah, we should have mentioned that. It's, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, they've been uh, including like all of the Yakuza games, like all of them are yeah. in, them, in there now. Um, I, I mean, it's it's really great. And uh, and they were saying like, oh, Japan is our most, how did he put it, like most dynamic market. And it's like, yeah, you sold like three consoles last month. Uh, if you sell <laughs> six, you double the amount. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was. Uh, and th- they had this great promo where they're showing, uh, like they're trying to sell Game Pass and they're showing people playing with uh, PlayStation station controllers as a way to you know uh be friendly to the japanese market it's very clever but the bottom line is they included uh they added scarlet nexus to the game pass uh offer on the spot like it's available now and this is a jrpg from three months ago four months ago which got really good reviews and uh and so i thought i'd check it out it's 
it I've played two or three hours um, so far, and it's really fun. It's surprisingly similar to Tales of Arise uh, oh, yeah? in, in many different ways. Yeah, it's it's very active. Um, it, that's why I was ref- trying to to pinpoint when the action version of JRPG combat really started happening, and I thought it was maybe Final Fantasy fifteen. And if it's that, it's had an influence also with the Tales of series. I mean, of course, but- Kingdom Hearts. I guess, I yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, I uh, I haven't been following up on my JRPGs enough in recent right. years. I well, got that, don't worry. Yeah, no, that's why Mike's here. Uh, I have to admit, I much preferred back when JRPGs meant uh, turn-based, turn-based to the core. Uh, that was, that, you know, that's, I have a soft spot in my heart for turn-based anything anyway, but it does make me a little sad when it's this sort of weird hybrid. You're controlling an entire party in real time. It's I just I have yet to find a combat system, and maybe Tales of Arise is it. But I have yet to find a combat system that really agrees with me in that weird hybrid place. You know, I won't tell you to go out and buy Tales of Arise, but Scarlet Nexus is on Game Pass, and it's worth. I mean, again, it's very Japanese. Like it's yeah. kids in the army fighting weird days. <laughs> The classic flower based monsters. <laughs> like you're going to tell me the Pope is the villain. <laughs> it probably is. Honestly, it probably is. Um, it, it, but it, it, the combat system is really fun. You have this mix between psychic powers and sword action. Um, and, and the way they mix it in the combat system, uh, you know, you have to alternate between uh, those two types of powers. It's, it is, very well done and very enjoyable, which again, action in JRPGs is not necessarily what you think of, but this works really well. Um, I won't spend too much time on it because I only played a couple of hours, but it was surprising. Out of the two, um, I think Tales of Arise might be more, I don't know, spectacular, but um, this one is really fun. So give it a try. You might at least, you know, to, to figure out what it's about. I need yeah, to try Game Pass, it, yeah. so why not? Scarlet Nexus. I was afraid yeah. to start this one just because, like, I knew Tales of Rise was coming and would be similar, and I was like, I, I, I want to play that one more, so maybe I'll get the Scarlet Nexus later. And now it's on Game Pass, so patience rewarded and all that. There you go. You know, this is the best aspect of Game Pass. It's for those games. I I, I think there are two games that are great on, on Game Pass, and the next one I'm going to talk about is one of the first category. It's the games that you're not too sure about uh, that you wouldn't have tried if it wasn't you know on the game pass and the other category is the games that you're like i want to play it but i have so much to play and i don't want to play it enough to pay like full price for it so if it's on game pass i'll give it a go and scarlet nexus is definitely in that category it's like oh if it's there yeah sure of course yeah i I don't have to pay for it and i'll play it anyway yeah what else you got uh, okay, two uh, more games. The Artful Escape, I won't spend too much time on because you talked about uh, it a lot. And it's such a wonderful yeah. experience. I love it so, so much. Yeah, It is. I, I'm midway through it, I think. Um, and it's it's beautiful in ways that are not just visual beauty. It's like, obviously... Uh, the the audio, the, like the sound of it is beautiful, but also the experience of playing through it is beautiful like you 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 enjoy the visuals which are stunning you enjoy the action of walking and pressing the button to to riff on your guitar and like jumping a couple of times and then pressing the button to to hover in the air with your like 
it's like, yeah. oh, it's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's really all there is to it. There's not much else yeah. to it. I mean, and then the sort of the poetry of the poetry of you sort yes. of defining your identity in the game is it's, yeah. there's not really anything quite like the artful escape. The, the way it makes you feel like when you play the guitar, it's very few and far between in the game, uh, which maybe is, is good, but I would want more. When you play the guitar with someone else who's asking, you just press the buttons in the sequence that it's telling you to press them. Yeah. But God, it makes you feel like you're, when you're inputting that last like oh, yeah. strumming of your guitar you feel like you're and everything is exploding on the screen and you're like yeah i'm like uh doing it it's it's <laughs> I, yeah, i'm a i'm a golden god i mean it's, it is yes. a, a, all about delivering that feeling and wait till you get to the end i mean the, the game really mm. crescendos i think uh the ending is 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 that even on 11 you know it's yeah. it's great and and we don't need to describe it further because that's really what the game is like. It's that's a, all it is. It's a, yeah, it's a but, walking simulator of audiovisual poetry. That's what yeah. It is. I would say play it, play it first of all, but also play it with great sound. If you can get yourself a great pair of earphones or or have a sound system, uh, you will I think enjoy the game even more. Yeah, artful escape. Yeah, and it's also and then, on Game Pass, so. It um, is also on Game Pass. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, and you Kena, also played Bridge of Spirits. Kena, yeah. Yeah. Which I guess I was, such... I was mispronouncing last week. People have, have told me. I thought it was Kena too until I played it and they started saying Kena. I was like, oh, oh, long. No, game. no, they say Kena. It's Kena. Yeah, I know. I was saying Kena and people were correcting me to Kena. So I don't know. Kena. At this point, I don't, oh, my I don't God. Even I don't even know what's real anymore. I was way <laughs> off the first time. Mike, you're, you're, you were so convinced it was Kena. Your, your brain was transforming the, the sound <laughs> of the game. Anybody who's named Mike, they just have bad pronunciation skills because our name is so boring. We just can't <laughs> comprehend all these different sounds that people make. <laughs> I think your your name is lovely. Well, thank you. Mike. Mike. My name is very hard to pronounce. It's so... <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, Kena Bridge of Spirits. What a, what a game. You know, it is both a an incredibly a classic action game experience um which is very competent but not revolutionary in any way it's just what you can expect from an action like almost old mm-hmm. school like ps2 era ps2 mm-hmm. ps3 era uh action game uh, third person view but at the same time of course the um amber labs is it um developer yeah has a background in uh, animation in like movie animation and it shows it it is yeah. so beautiful and we've seen the trailers time and time again so i won't spend too much time on this except to say that the little rots with hats are the most adorable things <laughs> that you will see in a game they i want everybody loves the hats. rots with hats except me i was like this game really thinks i care about putting hats on my rot but <laughs> i guess everybody but me does care about it i was I like am. i don't <laughs> I good, so I could go either way with the hats. Yeah, it I is. was like, I, I unlocked it's another hat. That's all I unlocked. Okay, I guess it really <laughs> thinks I care about these hats. <laughs> I do. I, I went back to the to the little stall thing and and would equip the hats and look at them and um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. It was, I mean, yeah. It's but it's a small part it's of the charming. Game. It's not- it is charming. Yes. And the rest of the game is really like uh, a little bit of traversal, a little bit of 
easy-ish puzzle solving and uh, and combat. And the big surprise, I think, for the game is how competent the combat is. It starts off fairly easy, but it adds all the way through the end of the game. It adds different abilities to your kit, and it becomes fairly difficult. Like, there are a few boss yeah. fights which are... I I will dare to say they are Dark Souls worthy. You know, they're they're really difficult and you have to use all of your kit and learn the patterns and like they're they're and they're really fun. Um and the other part of course is the you know the narrative part of it, um the story which is again nothing, you know, spectacular, but it's really thoughtful and uh poetic and uh it's it's got you know japanese or asian and western influences it, as a package it works really well it's a maybe 10 12 hours experience um yeah that it's difficult to come away with without being charmed um, i agree and it's also 40 bucks you know this could have yeah. been a, a full price game without any hesitation but um I agree. You just want yeah. something that is not like you're not going to stress over, or well, the combats are a little bit hard, but like it's it's not something that will demand a lot of you. It's just something you'll you'll experience. Fun and it's, it's, it's a very pleasant world to be in. That's for sure. It's a, it's yeah. a wonderful. You love looking around it. You love wandering around it. And I think it's a game that's that's better than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Right. It's each individual element is sort of unspectacular, or you know unremarkable but combined all together it's a pretty great package and yeah i i'm i I could easily recommend this game that i can't pronounce i find it so encouraging that smaller studios can make games like this now right yes and uh, that's only going that that like ability is only going to increase as these game making tools get better and better because so many of the triple a studios now are you know making very similar games they can still be very good games but there necessarily wasn't a room for this kind of old school action adventure kind of experience and then now here it is it's back and it's fantastic it's still a lot of fun totally agree yeah yeah i there are two very quick things i want to add about this first this is their first game ember labs it 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 could have been a train wreck and you know we we had no news from the game until basically it was released and that was very nerve-wracking i think like not nerve-wracking but it made me very nervous about the game it is Given the fact that it's their first game, it is a spectacular success. Spectacular. It's amazing. Um, and and the other thing uh, which relates to what Mike's was, Mike was saying, I think we always say this, but nowadays the, the breadth of different types of games and the richness of the games industry – well, literally, and and in the different offerings we have, and the competency that any developer can have, thanks to the expertise and the tools, it's crazy. The like the fact that in this episode we talked about all of these different games, from Tales of Arise to The Artful Escape to Cana Bridge of Spirits. Like, I yeah. really don't think we have ever had an, a better, healthier time for you know the the games production, not the working environment but the the production (laughs) of different games is incredible like yeah it's a golden age we're in a golden age and and it's and it's it's gonna get even more golden i think mike is spot on with the the proliferation of the tools and the accessibility of the tools uh and i've been beating this drum for years now but i think you know we're in the middle of seeing the transition from games as a technical exercise to an artful exercise and it's drawing people who don't have the technical skills 
per se, but have an artistic vision and the tools are easy enough to use and accessible enough that they can still produce great games without, you know, necessarily noting, knowing how to crunch code, uh, which is great. I, I think that's great. I think the difference is that you need some technical expertise, but what you can achieve with the same level of technical expertise you had, you know, five, 10 years ago, 15 years ago is comparable to what, uh, uh, much more, much closer to what a AAA studio can do. And yeah. smaller teams, like, have you played, for example, Boyfriend Dungeon? Um, I haven't, I haven't. I, I won't talk about it too much, but just to say, it's a crazy idea that like the quality of the game is really very high for it's a very indie game. So don't expect, you know, God of War, but it, but the idea is completely wacky and it works and it's fun and it's charming. And it's a small team that, that did it, yeah. which would have needed so many, so much more money. You know, it, that's what right. it comes down to, to make their vision happen uh, 10 years ago. And we yeah. see that, like, the, there are a couple of examples here, but there are a million out there on Steam and other platforms. So. Well, I mean, we're about to talk about Steam Next, uh, which, like, <laughs> is overwhelming to me. At, at a certain point, I'm like, how does anybody even make money in this business? Like, the yeah. number of indie titles that are out there that all look good, it's crazy, crazy to me. Well, I'll tell you who makes money. It's Apple with 30% of all <laughs> yeah, everything. Did you, know, did you see they made... Epic stops them with their heroics. <laughs> Sorry, I I have to say this. Did you see that Apple made in 2019 $8 billion in profit in video games alone on the App Store, which is more than Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, and Activision Blizzard combined, you know, the profits combined. That's yeah. How, anyway, that, that it's and you can't even play that. Grand Theft Auto Five on that thing. How <laughs> good is that platform? <laughs> anyway. uh, hey, I gotta, I gotta take a second and thank our second sponsor, which is Ritual. Hey, Ritual is a multivitamin, and gaps in your diet should not be ignored. Over ninety-seven percent of women aged nineteen to fifty are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet, and ninety-five percent are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. But Ritual's Essential for Women, the 18 and over multivitamin, was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill those nutrient gaps, specifically in the diets of women ages 18 and over. It is formulated with nutrients that help support brain health, bone health, blood health. That's like most of what your body's made out of, brain, bones, and blood. And they also provide antioxidant support. So that's great, but Ritual doesn't stop there. They invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of essential for women 18 and over multivitamin. The results, well, it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. The clinical study was published in the leading scientific journal, Frontiers in Nutrition. My wife has been taking the Rituals Essential for Women 18 and Over multivitamin for multiple years now. She swears by it. And one of the things she likes is that it's easy on a sensitive stomach. She doesn't have to take it with food. Uh, it was designed specifically for that purpose. She loves this. And we, and we can hook you up. Right now, Ritual is offering listeners of DLC 10% off their first three months. Visit ritual.com 
slash DLC and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash DLC. R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash D-L-C. All right, I have tons of stuff on my playlist as well. The first thing I want to talk about is a game that just went off of Embargo this morning. Uh, doesn't has, It comes out, I think, to, tomorrow, today, tomorrow. Uh, it's called Jet the Far Shore. This is a game I have been very much anticipating because it is the new game from Super Brothers, uh, who made Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery, which I believe to be a masterpiece. I, I think that game is incredible. And so, uh, you know, forevermore, I will be playing whatever Super Brothers puts out. And Jet the Far Shore is a really interesting game. This is the premise of this game, which is basically uh, you play as this uh, this woman, May. Uh, May, I believe is M-E-I, May. Uh, and uh, she is sort of um, on a dying world and is... Uh, is tasked by her civilization to be one of the people to uh, populate a new world that is a thousand years away. Uh, They have to, you know, travel a thousand years to get to a new world and then explore it. So that is what you are doing. And the way you are doing that is with your jet. This is a, uh, a craft that you and a co-pilot are piloting and it can go over water and over land, but it sort of just kind of hovers uh, not too high above it. it, it it's flying at incredible speeds and it, you can do things like do little bunny hops, like hop into the air. You can do barrel rolls and stuff like that. But you're mostly in this jet, although there are sequences where you get out of the jet and it turns into kind of a first person game. But that's mostly for story elements. The, I think the real key to Jet the Far Shore that really had me intrigued is that this is a game that is, about exploration and discovery and not violence. It is not a game where you blast things and kill things. You are discovering. I'm I'm not interested. Well, clearly you love blasting and killing. Um, You know, and I do too, uh, but it's nice to get a little respite from that sometimes. And I'm always interested in how developers figure out a way to create 30 seconds of fun repeated without, you know, pushing a button to destroy things. And I think this game uh, accomplishes that in a really interesting way. It's got some big flaws, and I'll get to those in a second. But I do believe that the central, uh, the central mechanical element of the game is fascinating. So you're in this, you're in this jet, and you can turn on your thrusters and go super fast and you're skimming across the surface of planets. And then you can, you know, turn them off and you kind of hover in place and you can go much slower. And you are encountering various uh, undiscovered alien things. You know, this this planet is full of vegetation and life and uh, just sort of uh, anomalies that you are that you can scan and and learn about, and in that sense, it's reminiscent of something like um, um, uh, which the No Man's Sky. <laughs> no Man's Sky. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Thank you. My brain's back. It didn't give me a lot to go struggle. on. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's very reminiscent of No Man's Sky. It is, but uh, 
you know, in, in No Man's Sky, you sort of scan stuff and see what's useful. In this game, it asks you to scan things and then sort of experiment with them to figure out how they're used. Um, you'll scan something and it'll give you a few elements of what it does. But then if you like you do your little hop maneuver in your jet and sometimes that can jostle the item in a certain way and it'll have, you know, do something like there are these nodes that if you jostle them, they'll, they'll sort of bloom and make all these beautiful flowers uh, appear. Um, or you can shine your flashlight on things. Some of them react to, to light and do certain things. Or you have a grappling hook that can sort of snack, snack, snatch things and fling them in certain ways. So there's like this experimentation and true discovery that's happening. That is really, really cool. And the world is beautiful. Uh, the movement, the kinetic movement of the game is, is I think, satisfying and pleasurable just in and of itself. But there are a few flaws with the game that I think really hold it back and hamper it, uh, unfortunately. Because I think there's so much going for Jet the Far Shore that it could have it been really something special. And I think, unfortunately for me, it, it, it was held back one of them is that there's no sort of in-between state between going very fast and going glacially slow. Hmm. And oftentimes the game asks you to manipulate these objects or do something very precise, grappling hook something and fling it in a certain way or uh, you know, bunny hop on a specific area. But if I zoom up to it super fast... I often have a hard time, like the controls are frustrating because I'm going so fast that I miss it. So I want to slow down. So I turn off my thrusters, but then I just come to a halt. And invariably I'm like just out of reach of the thing. So I have to move a little closer and moving a little closer is so slow and so cumbersome that it never really feels great. You know, the game just doesn't feel great in those moments. The other thing that is a baffling decision to me is, is that in order to convey the sense of an alien world and, a, and an alien culture of which your character is a part, you are always speaking in an alien language that is made up by the game. It's not a real language. But there is copious amounts of voiceover that plays when you are talking back and forth to your co-pilot, which you do quite a lot, especially in the early part of the game. Is, is, does this sound like a Star Trek? Like this could be a fictional language or does it sound yes, like it's, Kazooie? It sounds like The Sims, you know? It's a bit like that. So, uh, and it's, I mean, it's, but it's, it's fine. Like it's, 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 it's not, maybe that's an overstatement, The Sims, it's not it's not goofy it's not okay, even okay. abrasive or off-putting it's just completely useless because it means that i need to read the subtitles so like why am i even hearing the voiceover it because it it adds nothing other than texture right but what i have to do in order to understand anything that's going on is to read the subtitles which i'm often trying to do while also playing the game so the usefulness of voiceover is that I can be playing the game and listening at the same time. So when my co-pilot is telling me something very important, I can hear it while also dealing with the various dangers and challenges that the game is presenting me with. 
But in this case, I have to stop looking at the world and look at the subtitles to even understand it. And I better do that fast because the subtitle is about to go away and he's about to continue talking. So if I miss what he says, where he's like, we better go over there and check out that thing. I may completely miss him saying that because I didn't read it fast enough because I was dealing with the crazy thing that was happening in the game world. It's like, I, I don't, I don't understand this decision. It, it, it adds, it's cool at the beginning when you're like, Ooh, it's an alien language. And I'm really kind of, it's evocative of this, uh, a completely foreign culture that I'm now participating in. That's kind of a neat concept. They should have done but, the red October thing, right? Where exactly, Sean Connery is like speaking in transition. Russian. And then yes, all of a transition. We, we yes. get it. He's Russian. They're speaking in Russian, but we hear it as English. I, I would love for them to have done that. It, it, the I fact think, that it persists throughout the entire game makes no sense to me at all. Well, I mean, money-wise, that's a big investment. I'm sure that's part of the decision. It when seems you, to me way more expensive to have someone talk in a way that is foreign but is – Oh, I'm up. guessing this is generated like they didn't actually record all the. Blah, blah, blah. I, oh, you I, think? You, I mean, it doesn't I'm sound guessing. like saying the same thing over and over again. Okay, it sounds like you know in Star Wars when you hear a, a, a alien language and it it sounds like it has a structure and an internal logic, but you just can't grok it. You know, and, and so the the reason it's not just that you have to read the subtitles as as you would for a uh, for game that's in a language you don't speak it's that the the combination of that and the fast action is making it difficult to play you think those two things should have been considered in the almost in the way the game is designed yes i mean this is not a okay. cutscene that i'm talking about i mean there are cutscenes, and i don't have a problem reading uh subtitles and cutscenes. this is not it's not about the reading of the subtitles it's the fact that there is very important information being conveyed to me in very high tension moments of gameplay, but the only way that information is being conveyed is through text that will distract me from the pure mechanical uh, challenge of what I'm doing. Like I, mm. I, I'm having a hard time both piloting my ship in real time and dealing with the thing that's on the screen and also reading the subtitles, which pull my view away from piloting my ship. It's like a it's a very substantial problem that I think the gaming yeah. doesn't rectify. I've been, I've been hearing mixed things about this game in general and like it seems like some of that mixing is happening within yourself even. Yes. Yeah, I mean it is a really ambitious, interesting, beautiful game in so many ways. And I just there's just a few things that feels like it's just being held back. Like like the there are moments where I'm like, "Oh, I love how this feels." And then all of a sudden, it'll ask me to do something complicated. And I'm like, this feels terrible. This feels <laughs> terrible. I, I want, I'm fighting with the game's controls now instead of enjoying it. Um, and, and it kind of volleys back and forth between those two feelings of like, oh, this feels great. Like there are sequences where you're like jettisoning across this beautifully rendered ocean, you know, and you can hop over rocks and other ships that are in your way and it's it feels freeing and beautiful and and exhilarating and then you know you're you find these alien you get the, you're on this alien world and you have to like tootle around there were moments where i got stuck between geometry in a very frustrating way and because like i'm either going way too fast or way too slow it's it's very frustrating 
because I think that there's so much potential to jet the far shore. Hmm. Anyway. You know, the tragedy of this is that, as we were saying, with all the great games available, a few years ago, I might have tried it out because of the praise you're giving to some of the aspects of the game. But the the with the the second part of your impressions, I'm like, you know what? I have better things to do. There are better games. There are a million games. There are, yeah. there are I mean, in fact, the problem. too many. Oh, oh wait. Jeff, damn it. I felt like you were setting me up and then I did. Ah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and you know, I can't, I can't spend time on games that aren't awesome. You're playing yeah. two JRPGs. You don't have time for much else anyway. Exactly. I, you know, I, Exactly. Two two children as well. Have I said that <laughs> enough times on this show? I have two children. I have no time. <laughs> <laughs> won't let you forget it, ladies I and gentlemen. I have zero children. That's why I play Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah. And you, you guys, might be better off. I you don't have children. Just, you have chocobos. That's right. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about uh, what, I, what I, seems... I do, I do want to say I, I love my children. They're awesome. Yeah. I, you no, know, they'll I never hear this. You don't have to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I love your children too. Um, I want to talk about what, what what appears to be the biggest video game uh, in the world right now, yeah. and it's the new world, which I think set a new Steam record for concurrence this week uh, with nine hundred thousand plus concurrence on Steam. Just bonkers numbers. This is Amazon's uh, brand new MMO, the New World. I bought it. I'm playing it. I like it. Uh, Patrick, was there any temptation to jump into the, the new world? I mean, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I believe, I have two children. Yeah, uh, so yeah. any... <laughs> well, yeah, this I, would, is... I would ask you, Mike, but I know you're, you're in Final Fantasy XIV, and there's a, you can't play multiple MMOs at no, once. No, but I, I played preview events of this, and I do want to play more of it. Uh, I, I, I was kind of scared <laughs> because the servers were getting bombasted, which of course they yeah. are. But I was like, I'm going to wait a little bit on this one. But I have played it. And it is fun, and there are a lot of people who are starving for a new MMO. That's why yeah. Final Fantasy XIV gains so many players. But Final Fantasy XIV yeah. is not going to be for everybody, and the new world is like the opposite of that in a lot of ways. I think that's why it is attracting a lot of players. I, I'm surprised at, it, at its success, uh, and and I guess there is this thirst for a, a new MMO out there. I, I think... I feel like the industry has sort of transitioned away from MMOs as as like the new hot thing. And there's a lot of Korean companies that are still like, yeah, MMOs are great. Let's keep making them. But I feel like there's very few Western MMOs. And here comes one from Amazon that's like blowing the doors off the place. Anyway. It's so weird. It, it is weird. I mean, th- this is um, – so the new world is – I think carves out a, a bit of a niche uh, uh, tonally because it's kind of this um, – pirate buccaneer kind of world age of exploration thingy yes age of exploration well said um and i think that's cool i think i like that idea that you know this the whole concept is you are shipwrecked on an unexplored island uh that is going to challenge your ability to survive and it really is a mashup of sort of classic mmo stuff and more survival games you know games like rust and um arc and you know these these survival games that have uh, become their own subgenre where you you know cut down trees to get wood and build things and and survive uh you know starting with nothing and there are elements of that in the new world the crafting is a huge part of the game and the world is just teeming with 
ways to survive. And I think there are mechanics in the game that are really, really clever and make you actually, actually, actually sells the notion that you are surviving on a, in, in a hostile environment on a, on an undiscovered Island really well, you know, like you're, you're hunting, you're, you're um, making camp, you're uh, cutting down trees, you're, you're picking things. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. The, the le- level of crafting that the game allows you to do is pretty neat. And there are no classes. There's no limits on what you can do. Um, much like uh, the old Guild Wars, whatever you equip, you can use. And as long as you use it, you'll get better at using it and unlock skills. So you want to have, have bow and arrow? Go for it. You want to do swords or a giant hammer or anything? Anybody can do anything You'll be better at things if you put uh, attribute points into the stats that are better for those items. So if you want to swing a big heavy hammer, you better have better strength. But anybody can do it. And the more you use it, the more special attacks and special um, abilities you'll gain, you'll unlock uh, and just from using it. So I, I like that. I think that's cool rather than making me choose at the very beginning what class I want to be based on zero information of playing a game. It also seems to want you to uh, switch back and forth between things a lot. Like um, the ranged attacks, you really seem to have to pair with a melee attack. So you can't just sort of be a pure hunter. Maybe as the game progresses, I, I mean, I'm only, you know, it's a big MMO. I, I'm only put, you know, a few, I put a bunch of hours into it, but there's still a lot of game sure. left. So maybe maybe there are ways to sort of be pure hunter later. But I'm noticing as I play, you know, I'll throw a couple of arrows or musket shots into a bad guy and then uh, switch to a melee as they run at me. And that's really cool. The combat is dynamic. It's not just watching cooldowns. There's no auto attack. It feels very arcadey. There's dodges and rolls. I mean, it's almost it's almost Souls-like in that way, certainly inspired by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the combat is immediately and consistently fun, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the combat's a big selling point right now because it's not a hot bar MMO like, right. like a World of Warcraft, like a Final Fantasy. We've we've had some games uh, in this style. I think Terra was a bit like right. that, but nothing yeah. that was a giant hitter around here. Elder Scrolls is even a little bit like that. It does have a bit of an Elder Scrolls online feel to For me. sure. Yeah, but uh, I agree with that. Yeah, Amazon man, they're, they're, they've been trying to get a gaming hit for a while. It's finally here. I'm sure, I mean, God, finally they, here. Yeah, Jeffy even tweeted out about it, so they're happy. I'm yeah, yeah I'm, a little I'm, bit, I'm enjoying it. I, I I'm liking it a lot. I I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but that tweet by Jeff Bezos was a little bit um it felt a little bit victory lappy early to me. From him? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the thing is with MMOs, you I mean, obviously it's selling well now, it's being enjoyed by many, many people, and that's great. But they're adding tons and tons of servers and they're uh, you know, an MMO is not, and again, I've worked for Blizzard for five years. It was a long time ago now, but keep that in mind as I critique this reaction to New World, which I haven't played, so I have no idea, you know, how I would feel about it. I'm sure it's great, but you can't judge the success of an MMO on the first two weeks of launch. The There are two components to the MMO, the leveling and the end game. And if the, if the end game isn't there, then don't think you can say your MMO is a success. And the end game is really, really hard to get right. Really hard. That is the hardest yeah. part. 
Um, and I, I, all the reviews that I've read of people that have gotten to the end game in beta have very negative feelings about the end game. But you know, there's time, and these things are living creatures that evolve and are changed. Right. And you know, we've seen I, a lot of MMOs come out and have bad starts and then recover from that, like yeah. Final Fantasy, Fantasy 14. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. Like uh, Outer Scrolls Online, Fallout 76. Yeah. So you know, all things considered, you'd rather have the good start. But yeah, and end game can be tricky, and we'll see how people feel about that. I want to say one last thing about the new world, and I guess, I guess it's actually more a meta I think comment. It's new world. I'm, I have to correct you. There's it's no the new world. No, the new world. Yeah, I, I'm pretty it's sure. Just a, it's just a new, <laughs> just any old new <laughs> world. It's it's new world. Occur, that didn't occur to me. I like, I like, I like imagining Patrick every so. time being like, "All right, it's fine. He's not going to say it again. I don't need to say anything." <laughs> I just finally I had the, way too I much. I hit tilt. <laughs> I hit tilt on, on the on the preposition. Um, <laughs> So in New World, I have one last thing to say, and it's actually more of a meta comment on on games in general. We need, we can, I believe it's within all of us as a, an industry, we can come up with a better thing for crafting and for harvesting than to just watch a thing tick by, a little progress bar tick by, right? I can walk up to a plant. I don't know of any game that lets me pick plants where I don't walk up to something and just watch a little bar get filled. Yeah. You want there's a better reload for plant. There's a, for yes. There's a better thing out there, you right? Know, there's a better way you know, to Final do that. Fantasy 14. I, I'm not sure how the gathering works, but the crafting you have, like you have like the same amount of skills that you would have if you were a bard or a, a paladin, like you have abilities you have to use. So you like try to craft it and get a high quality item and all this stuff. It's very fun. That's cool. Yeah. But I, I mean, like, you know, walking up to a mining node and start using sure. your pick every or walking up to a bush <laughs> or chopping down a tree. Every game has just sort of, we've all just agreed that we just have to watch a progress bar tick up. And so it is with new world, but I believe someone is going to crack this because it's insane to me that that's just accepted. Like there's got to be a more fun interaction you can provide me when I want to pick a berry or, you know, harvest a rock. It's got to, there's got to be a way I challenge you industry to come up with one. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Um, Real quick. I know there's so much to talk about, but, I want to talk about some of my favorite Steam Next demos. Have you guys played any of the any games from Steam Next? Any of the demos? No, no, I've just been stuck in yours and Final Fantasy. Okay, well, there's hundreds, hundreds of games uh, that you can play right now. If, as you're listening to this, I think it's going still this the rest of this week uh, on Steam. They are indie games, and I mean it's it's almost overwhelming as these events tend to be with just how much you can sample right now. So I'm going to give you my top three. I have sampled dozens of games on Steam Next uh, this week. And here are my top three. Uh, first one I want to mention is called XO1, which actually is very similar in experience to Jet the Far Shore in a lot of ways. Much more beautiful. XO1 is a sort of zen-like, it's almost flower. Uh, but you are you play a spheroid? I'm not really sure what this game is going to be because, again, it's just a demo. It's a timed demo that doesn't last terribly long. But I really dug my time with it. You play this spheroid, and it's almost it's almost a skateboarding game, but not skateboarding at all. But, I mean, just sort of mechanically, it's like a skateboarding game. You play this spheroid, and you're on these beautiful sort of uh, – uh, 
alien environment, alien's the wrong word, planetary environments. So the, the scale is, is planet wide. Uh, Giant it looks mountains. really good. It's gorgeous. And you, and you're, you can control the gravity of this spheroid. So you can make the gravity increase and have it zoom down the side of a mountain. And then you let off the gravity and it shoots up the other side and soars into the sky and then like breaks the cloud layer and the clouds are gorgeous and photo real. And then like droplets of water hit the camera because you're in the clouds and you're soaring through. And then you push another button and flatten out your spheroid and sort of glide through this, this environment. And that's the whole experience, but it's, Really compelling and super gorgeous. I played it in uh, super ultra wide, and it is—I mean, it's a showstopper. It's visually arresting. Um, so that's XO One. Totally recommend that one. The next one I'm going to talk about is called Soda Crisis. Immediately fun, super awesome. I'm going to buy this game when it comes out. Soda Crisis. It's like. Um, uh, um, Contra or Metal Slug. I guess Metal Ooh. Slug is even the better uh, touchstone, but done with modern uh, souped up graphics that look fantastic and also adds elements of, of almost puzzle rooms. Like the first section of the demo is is Metal Slug. You're like going and killing dudes and scaling walls and platforming and blowing up giant tanks that are attacking you. Super cool. And then... The second section is like you're breaking out of this facility, this science facility, and you have to, uh, you know, figure out each room and, and almost, um, almost super Meat Boy uh, level you know, precision platforming. Get out of this room before you die. You, you might have to try it thirty times. That kind of thing. Soda Crisis. Looks cool. totally taken with it immediately. The last one I'm going to mention is really cool. It's called Spider Hack. Imagine Pixel Junk Eden meets Joust with lightsabers. <laughs> <laughs> so I love Pixel Junk Eden. I absolutely adore that game. I think it is wildly underrated in the history and the annals of, of video game history. I think it is it is a unique and, and incredible experience. Uh, but basically, Pixel Junk Eden, you're like you swing on a little little web, a little vine, a little rope. Uh, and you have to maintain momentum and fling yourself around. That's basically how you get around in Spider Hack. It is a two-dimensional platforming kind of uh, uh, world. And you're a spider and you can spin a web any size. Uh, you you attach it to things and you fling yourself around. And you can you know uh, get a bunch of momentum and fling yourself off and detach your web and you know zoom around the the level to different platforms. Waiting on can, those, you can spin a web any size. Can you catch uh, thieves just like flies? Look out! Yeah. Here comes Spider Hack. Now wait a second. Yeah. I had to, I was looking for this. I couldn't find Spider Hack because it's actually Spider Heck, which is an even better name. I have to say, Spider Heck. Yes, I am the worst. I've gotten all the names wrong this week. No, it's Spider Heck. I still don't know how we're supposed to pronounce Kina, which is apparently wrong. So yeah. I'm uh, just I need to be fired immediately. Spider Heck, thank you. Spider Heck, apologies to the developers of Spider Heck and, and the developers of Spider Hack, which they're like, what? <laughs> we all this traffic today. Don't worry, that just was bringing up Spider Man <laughs> for PlayStation 4 everywhere. Like, how do you do I the Spider Hack? Spider Heck. Well, I think I understand why it's called Spider Heck because you just, it, it's, it's 
like bullet hell, but spider heck. You know what I mean? It's it's like oh, it, it's it, oh. it makes you go. It makes you crazy. Like this game makes you crazy because in the same way that uh, Pixel Junk Eden had you, you know, just had me standing up in front of my my television at times, uh, leaning forward and try to. Oh, I'm gonna make that leap. That's how this game is. You you're fighting against the controls, but in the like the best way. Uh, as opposed to what I was talking about with Jet, uh, where it's it's just like, oh, I want the physics to work. Ah! And it's this wacky, wild craziness. And then you get on these platforms and you can pick up items. You can pick up a, a lightsaber or a, uh, I mean, it's not called a lightsaber, but it's effectively a lightsaber. Uh, yes, or a gun. Or a here, yeah. Yeah, all this crazy stuff. And it's multiplayer game on these levels, sort of like Joust. Just bonkers fun. Spider heck. It'll have you asking, what the heck? And the answer is spider heck. Yeah. I think I put that in the box. I gave that one for free. Oh, I thought you were reading from the website. I was <laughs> no, like, that's no, pretty I'm clever. Very well talented. done. No, you are in the moment. Okay. So those are my three uh, Steam Next demos that I recommend this week X01, Soda Crisis, and Spider Heck. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC, even though it is more mistake ridden than ever before. Christian's going to come back and be like, see, you can't <laughs> do it without me, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, uh, I have certainly enjoyed this episode very much. Big thanks to Mike Minotti and Patrick Beja for being with me. Thank you both. You guys are awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Mike, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the things that you do on the internet. Well, I write over at GamesBeat, GamesBeat.com. My Twitter is Tokoto, T-O-L-K-O-T-O. Uh, check out the 90s Disney podcast. That's the one I do that's just about Disney stuff from the 90s. Our big Beauty and the Beast 30th anniversary episode just went up, and it has an interview with that film's directors. So there's uh, some fun stories there, some fun things that I don't think you have ever heard about that film before. So check out 90sDisney.com. Awesome. Patrick Beja, what about you? Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and the things that you do online. It's very easy. You go to notpatrick.com and the links to everything I do are going to be there. Uh, mostly, it's going to be Le Rendezvous Tech and Le Rendezvous Jeu, which go over the video games and the tech news. There are two different podcasts from that week, and they do that in French. So if you are learning French or you want to learn French or you speak French even, some people do, uh, go check out Le Rendezvous Tech and Le Rendezvous Jeu, and the links are at notpatrick.com. Very, very cool. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I've got a bunch of shows that you can check out if you're so inclined, uh, including the Filmcast, which you can find at uh, thefilmcastpod.com. Uh, that is my movie and TV show review podcast. Uh, I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And... Uh, I do the Dungeon Run, which is a live play Dungeons and Dragons show. Uh, pretty darn fun episode last week. A big, crazy battle where the team was split up and there were two battles happening across the city at the same time. A demon invasion they had to repel. Really recommend you jumping in. You can jump in at any episode. Uh, you can find them on YouTube uh, by searching for the Dungeon Run. You can find them as an audio podcast, wherever you get podcasts. Or you can watch live on on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash the dungeon run. All right, let's wrap up the show now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a-
Mike, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, you know, everybody's watching all this newfangled TV stuff like What If or Ted Lasso. I've been watching Columbo, the 1970s detective <laughs> show. It's on Peacock now. It is fantastic if you like those kind of old-timey murder mystery things with the likable but uh, very competent detective. It's great. Columbo. It's the show that'll have you asking, what the fuck? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Columbo, Patrick, what about you? You got a parting gift? Uh, well, listen, I can't be on any show and not recommend Factfulness, uh, the amazing book by Hans Rosling, who tells you about the actual state of the world, not what you get from 24 Hours News Network uh, networks. But uh, the one I really want to recommend is uh, Press Reset by games journalist extraordinaire uh, Jason Trier. And I I didn't think I was going to like it because it felt like it was focused, unlike uh, Blood, Sweat and Pixels, which focused on development. Uh, it felt like this one was focused on the issues in the games industry workforce. And certainly it is, but it does so through stories of development, um, which it's, it's a lot of, I guess, Warren Spector and, and uh, Ken Levine and their entourage and all of those companies and friends and coworkers who, like that kind of uh, environment, but it is still very much about the way games are developed and the sometimes horrendous stories that people go through in that process. And it is like Jason Trier knows how to write. Like he will grab you and he won't let you go until the end of the book. It's genuinely enjoyable and informative uh, to to read or actually I listened to it on, on Audible um, to listen to the book. So Press Reset is really, really good. If you read uh, Blood, Sweat and Pixels and enjoyed it, then I can heartily recommend Press Reset. Awesome. Press Reset and Factfulness. Uh, my parting gift, <clears throat> you know, we have neglected board games on the show a lot and since COVID started, mostly because I haven't been playing many <laughs> because uh, I used to play lots of games with folks that I don't get to see in person uh, much anymore. But I will say I have rediscovered a love of chess. I recently had a an anniversary, my seventh anniversary with my wife, and we do the sort of quote unquote traditional gifts, the prescribed gifts. And this for seven, it was uh, wool or copper. And so I found a copper chess piece set on Etsy and gifted it to my wife. Uh, and lo and behold, she had never actually played chess before. So I had this delightful time, uh, her learning and me sort of rediscovering my love of chess. And we've been playing chess in the evenings and it's great what a great quick thing to do fun little pastime doesn't take terribly long at least the way we play <laughs> which is you know not very high level but still super enjoyable and i have ambitions to get better um so give it give, it a, give chess or another look if you haven't played in a while this is great i have i have friends i still play online games with there's a lot of uh, nice uh, places for that so yeah chess is good yeah I mean, right. having like a, a good set with like heavy pieces. Yes, it feels good. Ah, oh, feels so good. Yeah. 
My my son, my three and a half year old, plays chess. Um, what? No, not, not not quite. You know, he kind of makes up the rules as he okay. goes along. So it's like Calvin um, Hall meets chess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so impressively. He, he really I, likes to explain to me what the rules are. And he, <laughs> obviously, if this wasn't clear, he doesn't know the rules or care about them. So Listen, it's a little bit difficult. They're like, but, checkmate again, son. <laughs> um, yeah. I've been I've been wondering whether I should try to introduce it to my five-year-old, but I kind of feel like he's too young. But you're like three and a half over here. I'm like, well, well my kids you know, already. You, know, again, you guys again. are such a thing as checkers. It's a good, yeah. good little step there. My my wife said, "Well, we, well, let's just or, let's just buy Candyland," and I was like, "No, no son of mine, no kids of mine will be playing Candyland in my household." Oh, gosh, I played Candyland with my nieces once, and it just turned into they made a mess. I had to clean up. Yeah, it's it's not it's not it can't even be called a game. That's not a game. <laughs> it's a process that you endure. Yeah, I just anyway, thought, I was like get get back to me when you're old enough for Trivial Pursuit. I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> playing a young kid in Trivial Pursuit is hilarious. Oh, it, you it's always funny. win. It's great. You're really <laughs> bad at it. I know so much more than you about the right? world that you barely lived in. That's, you know, that's the enjoy the life of like the, the uncle. That's something oh, yeah. great. That's the best. When you're, yeah. <laughs> we got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from David Skinner. David writes, uh, I've been meaning to send in a parting gift for a while. Please check out this amazing ongoing animated series on YouTube called Tales of Alethrion. It's from a team in Denmark. And there's a bunch of episodes. Uh, he said they, they've also kickstarted a board game in the Tales of Alethrion universe, though he hadn't played it himself. Uh, thank you, David, for sending. He sent a bunch of links. I checked out Tales of Alethrion. Have either of you guys heard of this? No. Nope. And neither had I. Uh, it's really interesting. It's a it's a sort of an it says animated series. It feels a little anime, but it had very much its own aesthetic to it, which is cool. Like the main character, at least in the episodes I saw, is this guy with this crazy, uh, uh, almost like Wario mustache, this wild mustache. But the the thing that's so interesting about this show is it's animated and it has no dialogue. Th- there's an audio track, but no speaking and everything is conveyed through the animation. Uh, and there's big battle sequences and, in a high, uh, adventure, but it's all, uh, it's all unspoken. It's all uh, conveyed through the movement and the feel of the animation, which I think is very impressive. Um, tales of a is what it's called. Uh, thank you, David, for sending that in. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us. DLC feedback at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Mike Minotti and Patrick Beja for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those fun bumpers. Thank you to each and every one of you who download our show and give us your time. We are grateful. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.